You're listening to Radio Boston. I'm Tiziana Deering. And now, Bigfoot. Yep, the monster. John O'Connor has a new book on the creature and why we look for it. It's called The Secret History of Bigfoot, Field Notes on a North American Monster. And here's something. Chapter 2 is all about the Berkshires. Now. So we read it. And we learned two important things. First, Massachusetts, not that different from the rest of the country. And second, we all have a Bigfoot of some kind. John O'Connor is a local author, journalism instructor at Boston College, joins us now in Studio 2. Welcome to Studio 2, or as you might call us, Squatchachusetts. <laughs> Good to have you here. Thanks for having me. So fascinating, right? I mean, when, when uh, Amanda Beelan, senior producer, first said, there's, you know, a book and it's got Bigfoot in the Berkshires. Of course, you're immediately intrigued. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot here. So here's, here's where we're going to start. I'm going to ask you two questions. It's going to be fill in the blank. Each one, you're going to give me a one-sentence answer. Okay? Okay. So the first one is, I set out to write this book because? To understand why otherwise sane, lucid people believe in unbelievable things. And when I was finished, I realized... It's more complicated than I thought. Yeah. Okay. So there it is, folks. There it is. And Bigfoot was your device for that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And why Bigfoot? Well, I think Bigfoot just um, circles around a lot of things that I've written about over the course of my career. Um, you know, kind of mar- marginal um, c- sort of subcultures of people. Um, this tension between sort of modern domestic life and a desire to live life more wildly, I guess, a desire to sort of have more more wildness um, in our lives. Um, and also, it just seemed to unpack a lot of stuff that's going on in the culture at large right now about, about belief and um, the belonging and loneliness and, um, yeah, and just in the loss of our wilderness. Um, so there's three pieces there, right? You've got the wild and wilderness. Mm-hmm. You've got the belief in belonging, mm-hmm. and you've got the loneliness. Yeah. I think there's interesting things to touch in all of those. And, and you know, obviously what struck us, we're Radio Boston, we're a local show. Mm-hmm. Um, and this chapter, Squatchachusetts, right, you go to the Berkshires, and for listeners, they should understand, you spent a year going all over the country and going with people who do this, yep. camping in the woods, being on mountainsides, spending nights outside. You did the search, and you went to the Berkshires. Mm-hmm. I did. Tell us a little more about that. So, yeah, it you know, it's uh, the, the Berkshire. One of the things that surprised me about this book was exactly that, that you didn't have to go to the traditional, what people think of when they think of Bigfoot, the Pacific Northwest, um, you know, Northern California. A lot of the guys I talked to when I was doing early research were like, you know, you could just go to Ohio or like in your uh, upstate New York in your backyard in the Berkshires. Um, and so I reached out to a group, a local group here called Team Squatchachusetts, mm-hmm. led by um, a wonderful guy named Jonathan Wilk, who's a pal of mine. And, um, and he invited me on an expedition. And, uh, you know, ex- quote-unquote expeditions, Bigfooters um, tend to spend two or three nights in the woods sort of looking for Bigfoot um, and listening for Bigfoot is a big part of it. Um, often and, and not very hard to access locations too. It's we're not talking very wild here. I mean, we were in the Mount Savoy State Forest, which is you know a, I don't know half an hour from Pittsfield. Um, it's you know it's not very far out there. Um, so and yeah, we spent. Um, I kind of arrived late, but I, I should say probably like two and a half nights um, in and around Mount Savoy State Forest. Um, 
taking long hikes through the woods and kind of comparing notes afterwards. All right. And I'm go- I'm going to uh, listen. It would be easy to interpret any question that I ask you as mm-hmm. snide, right? I'm not I don't want to do the snide thing, mm. right? I want to explore the dimensions of what you actually write about in this book. Okay. So, this is not a snide question. Did you find one? Uh, <laughs> um well, you know, I have a very cagey answer to that, uh, which is that I, um, you know, I, I really tried really hard not to be snide and not to be dismissive in my book and not to insert my own beliefs. I just thought that that would be boring for me. Like, no one's going to want to read that book. I don't want to write that kind of book. Um, and I'm cagey in my response because it's kind of contrary to the the spirit of the book, you know, um, it, which is to not insert my own beliefs. You know, I think it won't take long for readers to discover what I think and whether or not we found a Bigfoot. Um, I will just say that I, um, that I, I guess I, in that particular expedition, no, we did not. Um, and, uh, and I did not in my year of Bigfooting see anything or hear anything that suggested to me that there is a seven or 800 pound mammal living undetected in the American wilds. All right. So stay on this Berkshire thing for just a second for our listeners. Couple things that we pulled from the book. First documented Bigfoot sighting in Berkshire County, 1765. Barrington Beast came to be known uh, as it resembled a large bear with a gorilla-like face and a habit of breaking into colonists' homes and eating food and taking shiny objects. You fast forward summer of 1865 in North Adams, Transcripts published several stories on a wild man, quote unquote, leaping fences and crossing roads, blamed for livestock deaths, etc. Here's one of the things that it made me think of. When we studied deep into the Salem witch trials, and we had actually a sort of Salem witch trials adjacent conversation here on the show just yesterday, one of the things that comes up is how terrifying and loud woods are in the pitch dark, deep at night especially if you really don't know what's out there, right? Mm. You don't have a lot of scientific exploration. You haven't done drones over the top, et cetera. It seems that that some of that history comes from the overwhelming unknown of all kinds of things that could do those things but hadn't really been discovered yet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've just hit on one of what I think is one of the big allures of Bigfoot is just um, – for what what what's hidden in the shadows, what's hidden in the darkness, and, and also just um, wanting to entertain possibility and some mystery in, in life, and and searching for um, something that may or may not be there, I think is pretty intoxicating for people. And trying to understand, try to give te- uh, texture and context to your experiences. You know, anyone who's spent any time in the woods or in wild places in this country probably has had that kind of experience where something brushing up against their tent at night or something they see or hear that they can't quite explain. There are a lot of weird noises out there. I, I learned in the last couple of years that porcupines make incredibly weird noises, um, especially when they're mating. Um, I mean, it's just like nothing you've ever heard before. And so there's a lot of um, unexplained, a lot of a lot of searching for explanations um, in Bigfooting, for sure. We're speaking with John O'Connor, who's a journalism instructor at Boston College and author. The book is The Secret History of Bigfoot, Field Notes on a North American Monster. We were intrigued because there's a whole chapter on that search here in Massachusetts. Okay, so listen, you said three things, you know, belief, uh, wildness, loneliness. Mm. Um I said at the top, Massachusetts, not that different, and everybody has a Bigfoot, right? So mm-hmm. I think we've done the Massachusetts, not that different. 
things. So let's hit some of this other stuff. One of the things that struck me was there was this sense that it took a certain metal, M-E-T-T-L-E, mm-hmm. to go out and do two and a half nights in the woods with a group of people when there might be a 700-foot, quote-unquote, wild man out there. Now, many of the people, most of the people you spent your time with were men, white men. Mm. Is there an element of machismo to standing up to a big monster? Oh, probably. Yeah, I, I want to be. Care- I mean, careful in not presenting Bigfoot as all as this monolithic group. I mean, there's great variety there, obviously. But, but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these guys are uh, the guys that I know are are um, men who might ordinarily have been in a duck blind or like on a trout stream somewhere, you know. Um, and um, and are they like their gadgets? They like their big trucks. They like the yeah the rewilding. This is just kind of an overused term these days. But yeah, like just um, proving what they're kind of made of, and that they and also just entertaining again entertaining ideas about um, about possibility and entertaining ideas that um, are maybe contrary to. Uh, um, establishment science, establishment culture, you know, that's a big part of it too. Believing what you want to believe despite what experts say. So we're going to pick that up in just a second, but I'm going to flag for a second. So uh, randomly, it turns out, you and I grew up in towns next to each Mm -hmm. other. I Battle Creek, Michigan, you Kalamazoo, Michigan. Mm -hmm. Um, Not denigrating uh, you know, I grew up with hunters. My brothers hunted, right? Not. I have one brother who believes that every winter you should kill some of your food and you eat everything you kill, mm-hmm. right? So very, uh, not denigrating that piece of the culture, but the thing you just said, the belief thing, that's the everybody has a Bigfoot. One of the things that it feels like you seek to unlock here, John O'Connor, is this idea that we have a fundamental human need to believe that there is something bigger out there, whether it's a monster or uh, something mythical that is a little unexplained, a little unobtainable, uh, and has some mystery, and we need it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I want to say, not denigrating, I'm I'm also a hunter and a fisherman. Um, uh, so yeah, definitely not. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, we all I think all of us, whether we realize it or not, believe in some kind of crazy stuff. You know, I mean, we can quickly go from rational to irrational inexplicably. And the, gr- the great example here is, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to like a late inning baseball game, bottom sure. of the sixth, top of the seventh, when like the pitcher is thro- throwing a no-hitter and this kind of murmur starts to go around, you know, like, but you're not allowed to talk about it, right? You're not allowed to mention it because then you're going to jinx the whole thing, right? I mean, you will literally get stuff thrown at you. You'll get chased out of your section. So you have a stadium of 30,000, 35,000 perfectly lucid, sane, sober people suddenly believing in the power of the jinx. Um, And we all have things like that where our stated beliefs or unbeliefs don't align with how we behave. Um, So two remaining questions, mm -hmm. I think. And if we have time, more than two. But two I know I want to ask you. (laughs) On this journey, what was one thing you saw or heard or learned that made you love people the most? You know, I was um, saying this to your previous guest out in the waiting area. Like, I, I was really so happily surprised to discover how welcoming people were to me, not just as an outsider and a non-Bigfooter, but as a journalist. Journalists get a bad rap today. I think queerly, unfairly, there's a kind of misunderstanding what journalists do. But um, but people like just, and, and a lot of people who I think it's fair to say I disagreed with politically on 80, 90% of, of things, but, um, but totally embraced me. If you're there not judging, again, not denigrating, and you're um, accepting um, of their you know, profess beliefs about things, then you'll find that um, you'll you'll be welcomed. 
Okay, I asked these backward because yeah. I'm going to ask you the disappointing one, and I wish I'd asked you that one last because mm. that the, that's the answer I wish we'd gone out on. So mm. note to self for next time, but <laughs> did anything really disappoint you? The power, the ability of humans to, to for everyone, and I'll, again, I, w- I want to be careful because I, I don't think my subjects are, are stupid. I don't think they're dishonest. I think they're the opposite of that, and I would put myself in the same boat here, but just the ability to abjure or backburner your critical thinking um, just for the sake of believing what you want to believe. Um, that I found disappointing and and, um, and a little surprising. You got another book in the works? I do. You can tell me what it is? I don't know how much I should say about it, but it's not about, I've get, gotten asked this a lot, it's not about cryptids, it is about uh, psychedelic drugs. All right. Well, we'll leave it hanging there. All right. All right. John O'Connor, author of The Secret History of Bigfoot, Field Notes on a North American Monster, journalism instructor at Boston College. Fascinating. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And that is our show for today, folks. Radio Boston is produced by Amanda Beeland, Rob Lane, Kyrie Thompson, our fellow Sydney Coe, with some accompaniment from Walt Wuthman today. Marquise Neal is our senior technical director. Yasmin Ammer, our executive producer. I'm Tiziana Deering. Thanks for listening. Have a good weekend. But then, hey, come back and join us again Monday for more Radio Boston. And he'll never come down. So don't play hopscotch near any old tree crotch. Until that old watch stealing, big feeling, hopscotch and sasquatches found.